also sitting in the dark now because all the lights around me are off and the sun went down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird atmosphere, that's all. That's what happens in the evening. <laughs> yes. to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are my co-host from San Diego, California. That's right. Cassidy Robinson, the other co-host from Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, today we're going to be reviewing Hustlers, and at the end of the program we're also going to be reviewing the uh, Netflix special movie TV miniseries. I'm not sure what it is exactly. Mute? Uh, and before we get too into the show, while we're still doing the intro, I just want to remind people to rate us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating uh, and then shoot us an email, I will draw a, a portrait, a sticky note portrait for you. Uh-huh. Um, and you, you'll get the original. I'm, I'll post it on social media, and then I'll mail it to you if you give me your address. So, wow, um, five star rating. You get a free sticky note portrait. Um, I pay for the shipping and everything. Just, that's a uh, lot just of do commitment. it. Just rate us. I'm excited to do it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So, uh, remember, do you take requests, or is it just going to yeah. be whatever you feel like drawing? No, uh, I take requests. So you give us five star review. Um, I actually just we just got a review and I got a request uh, for Nurse Joy whipping her titties out. So uh, I'm gonna do it. That's that's who's that's Nurse what they Joy? want from Pokemon. Oh, that Nurse! Wow, that's something I haven't thought about in decades. Yeah. So right. uh, if you want Nurse Joy with her Pokeballs hanging out. Uh, or or whatever you want, I'll draw it for you. I can't guarantee that it'll be good because, you know, I mostly have drawn like doodled superheroes and shit for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will draw whatever you want. I'll mail it to you uh, and I'll post it online. So give us that five star rating uh, and a Keith Foster original is yours. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, a few months ago, I introduced you to a trailer of a movie that we couldn't believe was happening called LaQuisha. Yeah, but, I mean, yes, I couldn't believe it was happening, but also, like, it's borderline not happening, because it's it's not like a real movie with a real budget. It's like some shitty comedian's shitty passion. Yeah, well... I was on Twitter earlier today, and I saw something that might rival LaQuisha um, in ridiculousness and uh, unspeakable terror. Uh, Let's go ahead and get your snap reaction on Airplane Mode, the Logan Paul movie. Oh, God. I'm already not interested in anything Logan Paul does. Okay, here we go. (laughs) 
Uh, so I'm just going to play the trailer, and uh, you're just going to hear my reaction as it plays. Okay, uh, seriously, what is Hashtagacon? Bro, it's the biggest social media convention ever. Yeah, man, Hashtagacon. Everyone's going to be there. God, I already hate everything about this. Let's do it! We're all going to be on the same flight. Are you ready, man? Do we have to fly? I hate Logan Paul's face so fucking much. <laughs> oh, of course, the hide your wife, hide your kids guy is security. Right. When you choose us. Please turn your cellular to airplane setting. I read the dying term. Really? What the hell is going on? It's a cell phone. That's not what cell phones do to planes. The pirates are dead! Fuck. Did you miss the most How tasteless How fucking long is this trailer? Oh, two and a half minutes. Really? Doing a fucking leave Britney alone joke in 2020? No, I'm a social media sensation. There is no social media convention. Would all of you dead? Give me that selfie stick! God damn Do you know how to drive a 767? So they're like... Okay. Um, I don't know. Is my reaction as fun <laughs> as you want it to be? I I mean what the fuck? I so I so don't care about mm-hmm. Logan Paul or anything he fucking does. Sure. I, I mean that I don't fucking... need, I barely know what a Logan Paul is, except for that every like six months or so he gets in trouble for something he said or did online and it becomes a Twitter story. But uh, I think what I'm what he's most famous for, for people who don't watch YouTube personalities, is uh, when he was in the hanging forest and took a picture with the dead body of which there mm. is a joke in this trailer about people taking pictures with dead bodies. Yep. Yep, there is. Uh, well, the guy I, takes a selfie with the with, fucking dead pilots. With the dead pilots. Okay. Basically, this is like they saw the Foo Fighters video for Learn to Fly and decided to make a movie out of it starring YouTube personalities and um, Nick Swartzen no, because, this... of course, he's in it. Um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. No, what this is, this is, this is the same thing we... I always talked about doing in high school of like, oh, we should fucking make a movie. Uh, and then we would like try to write bits and they were fucking terrible. Uh-huh. Uh, but but we never actually like got anywhere with it because, you know, some self-awareness kicked in and we were like, no, this is trash. I think and it was more up. like we were poor and didn't have the technology. I like to think it was a little bit of both. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, mean, I, th- I thought that's where you were going to go with it, is that 
people didn't encourage us and then give us millions of dollars to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the thing with. So I'm I'm not one of those grumps that's just like, oh, anybody who's famous off of YouTube is bullshit and they don't have any talent or whatever. Like, no, mm-hmm. if, if people who get famous on YouTube, good for them for, you know, getting in on a medium mm-hmm. uh, at the right time and making it work for them. I respect the hustle. Uh, yeah, I, re- I totally respect the hustle. I don't have a problem with people specifically because they're famous off of YouTube. What I have a problem with is dumb shit hacks like Logan Paul that wouldn't know comedy if they fucking hit him upside the head. Like, right. a, a perfect example of what you're getting with this movie is what they did at the beginning of this trailer, a tragic opening bit that they're, like, highlighting as comedy, where, like, mm-hmm. there's a guy under his bed for some reason and a guy in his closet, like, people popping out of nowhere. That'd be funny if, if like, uh, we're, like, planning this trip, and then, like, so one of our friends just, like, pops out from under the bed. Ha! And then, oh, what if somebody pops out of the closet? Like, there's no, there's no joke built there. <laughs> it's just, like, wow, oh, that'd be so random. And... and <laughs> Someone like Logan Paul specifically, who's proven time and time again that how is he a tastemaker because he has no taste, right? Is just like okay, whatever. I I don't think this is as bad as Laquisha. Oh, uh, really? Simply, you think this well, is? Uh, I think are you talking about is, on the scale of like uh, offensiveness, or are you talking about like which one is more likely to be funny? I mean, they both look. F- fucking like where comedy goes to die right uh but laquisha also has the really problematic uh racial stuff sure whereas this is just like idiots being fucking idiots like yeah this is just a a bitorama yeah just sight gags and and stupidness and just whatever stupid bullshit that they could come up with to try and be funny and so to me that's like yeah, that's bad. It's not going to be good, but mm-hmm. it's also not going to be like it's not going to get any attention because it's it's not going to be good enough to gain any sort of momentum or traction. Uh, it's you know Logan Paul fans will be like, are there such they can, thing as a Logan Paul fan? I mean, I mean have he, to be right. I, yeah, here's the thing about the like YouTube personality thing. I don't necessarily blanketly hate people who got famous off of being on YouTube. There's a lot of people yeah. on YouTube I enjoy. But Yeah, that's the the point I just made. Yeah, right. But there is a like stay in your lane quality uh, of a lot of that stuff and I have yet to see somebody transition. successfully transition from YouTube to any other medium. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something about YouTube as a medium that mm-hmm. it, it specifically requires like a certain type of joke and a certain type of editing to right. s- sort of keep people's attention. And I don't see that transitioning to and it, a movie. People have tried multiple times, like since its inception, every time YouTube tries to like cross that line into traditional media, it always fails. And well, then it's, I think part of the problem is it's, it's sort of the same problem that you have with like any hacky comedian that has like one bit, right? Like, yeah. what do you do? Do you just repeat that one bit for ninety minutes? You know, it it doesn't have legs to stand on. So i I think that's what's go- makes it harder 
Um, I don't think that it's impossible. I'm not. I'm not saying I could say it's a you know law of physics or anything that YouTube people just can't be in movies or TV. I mean, it might be. It just has <laughs> not been successful yet. I've yet to see it ever work. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think Logan Paul is going to be the no. He's to certainly break not going to be the exception. But um, yeah. So if you're out there and you just want to you know cringe test, go ahead and watch the full trailer for Airplane Mode. Um, get I mean, excited, I guess. Yeah, I fuck Logan Paul. He's a piece of shit. His comedy sucks. This movie looks like trash. All right. There you have it. And uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into some media we do enjoy. This is a reoccurring segment. We're not going to be doing our news today, but we are going to uh, pull up the segment in which I've titled Don't Call It a Comeback, which we discuss a few actors we haven't seen as active lately and we play career doctor a little bit and see if we can uh, suggest for them the right things they should be doing to get back up on the a-list or at least like in the public limelight right it, it like for example if we were to talk about nick swardson i would definitely not recommend a movie like airplane mode nope surely wouldn't um, okay, so I, I have three names here, and I'll just run through these, uh, and we'll, yeah, we'll just have a little bit also, of just- Also, just so people who are listening understand, uh, Cassidy has chosen these names. I have no idea who he's going to throw at me, so uh, it's a little bit of a random challenge for me, uh, Yes. whereas Cassidy, he he's a fucking cheater and can <laughs> rethink his answers a little bit. And could even pick celebrities to tailor his answers. So if I sound like an idiot, blame it's it my on fault. Cassidy. It's all my fault. I actually haven't thought about these that much. I thought about them enough to come up with them. But I have not uh, really thought about what my answers are going to be for this. So let's sure. start here well, at the top of the, at the top of my list. I have Kel Mitchell. Kel Mitchell of Keenan and Kel fame. Keenan, of course... Uh, found a second life out of, you know, a, a rope out of the pit of child stardom in SNL. He is still a thing somehow. Um, Kel, not as much. What could Kel yeah. be doing? Oh, that is a good, that's a good one. Fuck. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like Kel kind of got shafted a little bit. Like Keenan. He was um, the one people know. liked more, I think, of the two. On the, I I mean, on their show so and on long, all that. Yeah, but for so long they were such a comedy duo. Sure. Uh, that that yeah. Uh, the original I mean, Key Kel and Peele. Loves, Kel loves orange soda. Yeah. Um, Good Burger, which is still yeah. uh, people have a lot of fond memories of. So I think for Kel. Um, so Keenan, he definitely stayed with comedy, you know, yeah. he got SNL. He's, I, I think he's now the longest running cast member on SNL. Really? Um, Even over Tim Meadows and some of those? It's probably close. Okay. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but, uh, I, I think, you know, Keenan might eclipse that soon. Uh, you yeah. know, he's, he's rumor has it. He's been working on his own show at NBC for a while. So you know, Keenan definitely stayed in touch with comedy, stayed mm -hmm. with, uh, specifically with sketch comedy. Um, I think maybe Kel should try going in a different direction. Hmm. Um, because Keenan, you know, it, it, and 
um, amongst our listeners, uh, I'm sure there is uh, there's a couple people I know that uh, will probably the debate the merits of how funny or not Keenan is. Um, I, it's I'm always a discussion. You, yeah, I'm not the biggest Keenan fan, but uh, I think I think yeah, I th- I think he's overused, but I think he can. Uh, if a sketch is tailored for him, he can nail it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like what up with that? Sure. Uh, uh, anyway, um, but Kel, I almost think should go in another direction. To uh, I think if he wants to be taken seriously, if he did like some A two four picture, uh, okay, that has like a more serious tone. Mm-hmm. And if he, you know, if he has the acting chops for it. Uh, he should get in on some, try to get in on some small indie project, uh, where he can showcase himself as an actor. Because I guarantee people's reaction would be like, "Is that fucking Kel? <laughs> Is that fucking he loves orange soda, Kel?" <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, it, I I think it should be something pretty serious in nature, not yeah, uh, in, in not main character work or like uh. A really notable cameo. I I'm thinking more cameo. If yeah. it can be like the right cameo, where he could sort of come out of nowhere, just if rock his... it for a scene or two. Exactly. That's all he's got to do. Uh, uh, and then you know get people's attention, and then he can sort of build off of that. I that's what I would like to see Kel do. I yeah, I think it might be too soon. For him to try leading man. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever it is, I don't think he should be like comedic relief cameo. Because it's too connected to another part of his career. Yeah, exactly. I think I think he should he, real and you know, maybe he is trying to land a part like that. Um it, it unfortunately sure. a lot of people the, are. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately Hollywood doesn't uh, work that way where people can just go, oh, this is exactly what I want for my career right now. Yeah, I would um, imagine at this point, I, I mean, I, I'm i not sure the story of Kel Mitchell. He might have, like, actively stepped away. Cause, that's true. You, you know, it's not like he did a, a couple little things here or there and then we just haven't seen. Like, it's, I feel like, um, you know, there might have been a conscious effort not to act. So he may not want to do anything. But if he does, um, yeah, I think that's a good option. I was also thinking kind of in terms of not necessarily a comedic cameo, but what if he was like in the next uh, like Mission Impossible or something as the team hacker or something who gets to be funny, mm-hmm. but that's not the point of his character. Like, that's not the point of the entire movie is to, you know, set him up for laughs. But he gets to be part of, like, a bigger production. And, and uh, again, it would surprise people. And I think the issue with my... with him putting him as, like, you know, some, you know, tiny character in an A24 film is that I don't know if that audience would necessarily recognize him. But in a big yeah. mainstream picture, like um, the next Mission Impossible or like the next James Bond or something, if he was like, you know, some goofy hacker or like a, a weapons manufacturer or something like that, that got to like pop up in like four or five scenes. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like the like the ludicrous 
of whatever like of what the Ludacris is and thing, the, yeah. yeah, Fast and Furious. Yeah, not necessarily uh, I, those movies because I think they're already like that's already com- kind of becoming a gimmick for them. It's just like loading it up with 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 uh, cameos and actors. Yeah, but but it, I mean, I mean, it doesn't hurt gonna, anybody. But I I feel if like we're it gonna have play to- the comedic action comedy card though. Yeah, you know, like what if Kel had had uh fucking uh, Kevin Hart's uh, part. Yeah, Kevin Hart's part in sure. Hobbs and Shaw. Like people would have lost their minds. Yeah, actually, uh, I think it, it and might have even been a a more um, substantive part because of that. Uh, yeah, so I think if if he was gonna go that route, he should try for like movies that are known for sort of stunt casting ridiculousness. Like if he was mm-hmm. in the next Fast and Furious, people'd shit their pants. Uh, so yeah, I think if, if that's the route he would go, I, I think a movie like that would be even better than like a James Bond or, or Mission Impossible. All right. All right. Uh, second actor I have on here. Haven't seen her in a while. Well, she, she has a Netflix show, but nobody watches it. Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, not as prevalent as she was in the nineties and eighties. Yeah. She's on what that, what Santa Clarita diet. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, which I, I think was already canceled. Was it canceled? Uh, I wasn't sure if that was well-liked or not. Like, I don't hear anybody talk about it. No, I heard good things from some people, but I just, I don't think it, I think it was too high concept. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially with the sort of horror element, Yeah, um, I think that's a harder sell for a TV show. Unfortunately, However, Drew Barrymore is just like caught in that same thing that happens to a lot of famous actresses where they are known for being like, you know, a sex pot or whatever at a certain age. And then they're mm-hmm. the rom-com girl for a while. And then they just hit that 40 year old mark or mm-hmm. however old when it becomes impossible to be that thing anymore. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, a ridiculous wall that men in Hollywood don't hit nearly as often but yeah, what does she do to advance past this point? Okay, I I know this exactly. I set this up on our last episode. She should play Leonard Cohen's love interest <laughs> in the Leonard Cohen biopic, played by Adam Sandler. Um, Get back on because uh, here's the thing: they've done three movies together. Yes, great chemistry. Uh-huh, uh huh. I guess whenever they're in a movie together, it gets attention. And it's this true. could give them, give her an o- option to not just be like the romantic comedy love interest, but be like biopic mm-hmm. prestige actress love interest. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so get some of that Reese Leonard Witherspoon Cohen, Oscar gold. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Leonard Cohen was with this woman, Marianne Ill- Illin. Um, I'm sure I'm butchering her name. Apparently, he she was partners with Leonard Cohen for several years, and uh, Leonard Cohen wrote several songs uh, about her, and she was sort of a muse for him for a while. Uh, so that's my answer. She's got to be playing opposite Adam Sandler in my Leonard Cohen. Does she biopic. even look like this person, or does it matter? Uh, I. It doesn't matter too much, but uh, look, Google her, Mar- Marianne. Ilan. Uh, I mean, she's like 
blonde and Norwegian. Uh, so I mean, close <laughs> enough. I, I think, I think uh, I've seen further cries. Uh, their faces yeah. don't have a lot of similarity, but you, it's you, with yeah, makeup. I could see. It. I like it. she she's um, nondescript enough that you could plug in uh, Drew Barrymore and people would accept it. Plus, yeah, nobody knows and, anything about her and barely know anything about Leonard Cohen. Exactly. I don't even know if Leonard Cohen's life would make an interesting movie. He might have just like, you know. Oh, I wrote think it, songs. I think it, I think it would be. I you know, he he was like one of those uh village New York village poet guys who like hung out with like Bob Dylan and like got BJ's from uh Janis Joplin and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh <laughs> Oh, and apparently she died of leukemia. That's really sad. Um but great for a movie (laughs) yeah i mean that would work i think that is kind of the the next step right is she has to go from the rom-com girl i mean she's had like a wild career you know child actress in the 80s um then she was like the sex pot in the early 90s those wild cocaine crazy like tabloid girl and then she like cleaned up and was like the sweetheart from like i don't know 97 through 2004 or something and then, yeah, she went into directing. She did that movie Whip It with uh, Ellen Page, which was oh yeah, well-liked, but didn't super move the needle for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I would say she could either keep doing that, direct, um, make a name for herself as a director, because Whip It was a confident work. And people want to see women succeed in Hollywood. I don't, And she has more opportunities than you know, some people, being a Barrymore and all. Uh, yeah, but well, especially as a director, there's there is a, a huge market for uh, women writers and directors right now. I, I I'm yeah, not sure I'm sure there's Hollywood. still a lot of barriers. I'm so I'm sure it's still very difficult. But yes. um, even for somebody like her, but I think it'd be less difficult for her than, you know, somebody who's struggling to get a first film made. But yeah, I'd exactly. say I, if she keeps, you know, kind of writing and then, you know, she could write herself into the movies. Um not in like a really gross, obvious way, but like how she was in Whippet. She was a peripheral character who served the story. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that is kind of if she wants to keep working and wants to like be remembered and respected and that kind of stuff. I think, you know, she showed strength as a director or at least some ability. Uh, she might as well keep going that direction. She should fucking direct my leonard cohen movie there you go i mean you just i I think you are in the the early stages of development at this point you need to i fucking am call Uh, uh, call joe hollywood and uh (laughs) set some meetings up i yeah i feel like i'm on to something right here but uh, you know what you have to do you just have to like buy one really nice suit and you probably have a couple uh and, nice suits and uh night suits just wander into the right hollywood party and then just start talking about the project as if it's already in development and then people oh will get God. really excited about it and you'll oh start a God. bidding war before it even happens all of a sudden it'll be in variety you're so honestly you're fucking right like i don't even need <laughs> like I, I i just need like one journalist to pick up the story yeah about like a rumor about this leonard cohen <laughs> biopic <Barrymore>, star <laughs> starring drew barrymore and adam sandler yeah <sighs> oh, 
Fucking A. Uh, so, okay. We're, so we're, we we're helping a lot of people's do. careers with this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your, yours and Adam Sandler's and Drew Barrymore. Okay. Uh, last person on the list, and this shouldn't surprise you because we've talked about this in private and I think uh, talked about a little bit in the last episode, uh, Michael Fassbender. Oh, Michael yeah. Fassbender. Now, he, yes, I, I don't think um, he's completely cooled off of the no. hot streak, but he is definitely not where he was in 2012. Yeah. And that's... he's had a lot of failures under his belt, and I think they've he, they've stacked up high enough that uh, um, he's he, not... He's got to be careful about his next move. He's got to be careful about his next eight moves. Like yeah. at this point, he is he is not um, a like hot commodity anymore. He he's not a, a bankable. Yeah, he he's not a guarantee. I think um, he is about this close, and I'm making you know very little space between my fingers. He's this close <laughs> to uh, to Adrian Brodying out. Ooh, nobody wants that. Yeah, uh, but. But in a very different way than Adrian Brody. I actually think it's closer. I I think he's closer to like um, kind of like what we were talking about last episode with like the John Travolta, Nicolas Cage thing. Yeah. Where he's such a good fucking actor. I think better than both Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Sure. Uh, but he's like just done a bunch of shitty like blockbustery stuff that doesn't get to like to showcase him as an actor. And I think that's the problem. If- I think some have, I, you know, uh, you know, X-Men first class was a big success and people talked about his performance. They kind of launched him in a big way, like from being the indie guy to being the not indie guy. Um, but yeah, then yeah. all those X-Men sequels were just did not really hold up. And uh, he kind of sank with the franchise yeah. And then on top of it, well, the, the problem was Assassin's Creed. That was the beginning of the end because he was like the star of that. Yeah, uh, nobody saw that movie though. Exactly. I don't actually think that hurt him or helped him. I think that barely happened. I mean, it, so it hurt the person who funded it, but I don't yeah. think that I, <laughs> that it really like was a stain on his career. He just, I kind of, I kind of do because. So think about if anything. Like, I think like uh, Prometheus and the other one, um, Covenant, yeah. hurt him worse. Even so, though I think he's good in those movies. Well, so that's that's yes, he he is. That's the thing about fast fast Bendy, Fassy Bendy. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast fast. He's such a good fucking actor that he can make trash work. He he can make sure. he can make he can elevate his material. But that's the problem. He is doing these movies that at this point are beneath him. Mm-hmm. He needs he he should have tried to go for the prestige thing, and he kind of did with uh, Twelve Years the a Slave. Steve Jobs. I I think he needs a movie where he's not like a leading man. I and agree. He needs a movie that he needs to sort of Christian Bale on us. Uh, he needs to do some some sort of artsy stuff mm-hmm. uh that is you might think is risky because it's not gonna be like a summer hollywood tent pole he needs to avoid those yes um he needs to hook up with what's his name uh who did like silver linings playbook and uh 
American Hustlers. Oh, um, uh, David O. Russell. David O. Russell, yes. Yeah, he needs to hook up with somebody like that, but not be the main character. Yes, he needs to be the uh, kind of similar to Kel. He needs to be the guy that shows up in like one or two scenes and is just top of his fucking game, which I know he can deliver because he's right. Michael Fassbender. Uh, I think he could be some- in a more substantial role than that, but I do think he should consider being in more ensemble work that isn't X-Men. Um, yeah. And stuff that where everywhere it's an all ships rise kind of situation where everybody's kind of like helping everybody and everybody looks good. And they're, you know, they're, they're built from the bottom up instead of from top to the bottom. Um, yeah. And that's, exactly. that's and the nothing, issue. nothing sci-fi, nothing genre. Um, it, it, it should be just like, you know, maybe a period piece. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, that's what 12 Years a Slave kind of was for him. And I think that's one of his best performances. Like, I think, yeah, I think it's actually hard to watch in that because he's so hateful and he's just he. But there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to that character because he's like totally in love with the one slave, but can't like, like get over his racism to realize he's in love. So he takes it out on her. It's like it's all that is a nuanced performance. Whatever you think about the movie, uh, he is fantastic in that. And I feel like he was kind of robbed. Like, I think people didn't talk about him enough in that movie. But I think actually the comparison to Christian Bale is really apt because they're both these kind of smoldering, mysterious, like kind Mm -hmm. of arm's length uh, actors where you don't totally... You know, they have an air of mystery around them They're, that makes them a little harder to, like, put in the rom-com or put in it, as as the best friend character or something. Exactly. And and right now, I think Michael Fassbender is he's like right where Christian Bale was during uh, Terminator Salvation, right? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I think Christian Bale always had a few more like pot spoiling then yeah first sure. i mean for sure and and he seems to like the sort of uh, the variety oddball and, yeah or, um, or uh, uh and he t- he, it, honestly he takes bigger risks whereas i think fastbender is a lot more you know maybe this is uh, a situation of bad agents or whatever but i think he's very very concerned with like every single project he does has to advance his career in in, in a certain way and he's yeah, always kind of I, thinking I think in terms of markets to, and that kind of stuff. And I think he just needs to find good work. I think he just, yeah, he needs to cool those jets and move on to, like, some passion stuff. Yeah, like, just take a step back and get back to where he was before X-Men, where he was doing films like Fish Tank and Hunger and that kind of stuff, where he was building a brand um, mm-hmm. and uh, remind people why they liked him. Exactly. He just... Get away from fucking sci-fi. Yeah, for a while, at least. Unless it's like a Alex Garland thing or something. <laughs> like, even, yeah. even then, I think he's just, he's so close to becoming sort of a niche that... Uh, he's getting niche, way too synonymous niche. with schlock. Exactly. So, I mean, even an Alex Garland thing, I, I mean, I love Alex Garland, and I think he's proven that his stuff is sort of elevated beyond a lot of sci-fi genre yeah um uh but you know he's 
And I think Oscar Isaac's kind of in the same boat right now. Like a little bit. I mean, I think he's still like young enough, kind of hot enough property that he's he has more options. So as far as like, yes. and he, he's a lot more versatile of an actor because he can do comedy in a way that I don't think uh, Fastbender is known for. Oh, that might be fun to see, to see uh, Oscar Isaac in. and and uh, Michael Fassbender road road movie. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> uh, or. Like Michael Fassbender get- is a a very serious <laughs> assassin, and uh, Oscar Isaac uh, doesn't know that. And for some reason, they have to travel across country while <laughs> M- Michael Fassbender is like doing hits or something. It'd be like kind of like Stuber, but better. <laughs> yeah, but with like a little bit of. Um- Throwing just like a touch, just a touch of fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we've uh, we fixed your careers. You're welcome. Go out and make these movies. Yeah. So this advice is for free. Who definitely listen to us and not their agents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I think we'd be doing better. Um, you know, I maybe we're in the I wrong. Make- maybe we're in the wrong business here. I actually think I could make a pretty good fucking agent, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Maybe. You're, you're no personable. Do you like talking on the phone all day long? No. <laughs> I have no interest, but... Um, Taking meetings? Think, How do you like brunch? I think I've... I think I've oh, I love brunch. I think I've got a good eye. That's all. Anyway, uh, let's talk about some movies we saw. Yeah, let's go ahead and start our discussion of Hustlers. And um, do you want me to set that up? Uh, Sure. Okay, uh, Hustlers is a new sort of a dr- dramatic comedy-ish film uh, directed by Lorena Scafaria. I don't know. Lor- I think that's sure. I think that's right. Lorena Scafaria. It looks like, it looks like yeah, Lorraine, Lorraine Scafaria. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, based on a true story. Uh, that happened between the years 2007 to 2013 or so, um, in which a bunch of uh, New York strippers who primarily were stripping for um, high-rolling Wall Street executives uh, felt the brunt of the housing crisis and the economic crash in 2008 and as a way to make do, because a lot of these you know ladies were... Um, supplementing their income or they you know were being kicked out of their home by their parents or they had children to raise or whatever it was uh, they couldn't exist on the little bit of money they were getting post recession and start to build this racket where they would quote unquote fish men um, from other clubs and uh, sort of make them more suggestible with uh, powders and and uh drugs that they concoct they would they would drug them and rob them drug them and rob them essentially yes but make it but make it just unbelievable enough that they or put them in a situation where they couldn't really um well, take they, them they, to court or take them to task or anything because they, they would be just as exposed so it's extortion essentially yes um yeah it, it, well Robbery and extortion. Robbery and, ex- <laughs> and extortion, yes. And, and drugging people without their consent. Uh, yeah. The main character is played by Constance Wu, who probably a lot of people remember from from Crazy Rich Asians. And uh, her mentor, or sort of the mother bear of all of these 
uh, women in the strip club is played by Jennifer Lopez. Now, there was a reason I decided to bring up the Don't Call It a Comeback uh, segment on this episode because Jennifer Lopez is totally taking an our style advice on this movie. Yes, we fixed JLo. We fixed her career. We didn't, you know, we didn't make an episode out of it because we're very humble like that. But we we talked. Yeah, to yeah. People. There's there's no way this woman could have uh, fixed her career on her own. No, she, she can relies on the advice of no. two fucking <laughs> two podcasters. idiots on a podcast who can't even make their podcast successful. <laughs> that's definitely what happened. That's that's what happened. <laughs> but no, I, what I, what I mean to say is that you know this is a you know a great comeback story for her, and I think um, yes. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll talk about the movie, what we like, what we didn't or whatever, but I think uh anybody who sees this movie, it's hard to deny how great she is in this movie and how um kind of like she's hungry Ma- for to, for her success that I didn't know I was. She's Matthew McConaughey. Sure. She's she's playing a very uh similar part to Matt that sort of Matthew McConaughey played in Magic Mike. Right. It's sort of a different end of that spectrum, but yeah. similar uh, idea of like role model who, uh, uh, you know, it, it seems really fun and charismatic on the surface. And then as you dig a little bit deeper, you, you see that there's kind some, of a darker some, current underneath. Yeah. yeah. And, and also she, she had a, a very sort of similar aging out of the sex industry. And she, she, yeah, had sort of a, a similar trajectory career trajectory as matthew mcconaughey like they were in the, movies the parallels, together <laughs> huh they were in movies together yeah and honestly like this would be such a good fucking double feature with magic mike it's oh yeah ridiculous. i mean the movies are very very similar not just because they're both about stripping but they both like you know they're both on the surface they're both about stripping but below it it's okay, all so, about the economy so since we're getting our or uh, J-Lo glow, like, uh, up at the top. I, I mean, she's so fucking good in this. Yeah. And goddamn, uh, I don't think she's looked better either. Like, No, yeah. Like, it is the confidence that she exudes yeah. in this movie. And, and I mean, it it's sort of a weird thing, like, almost a trope with uh, female actors mm-hmm. that like to get you know respect they have to do like a serious role about stripping like right we saw you know sort of Demi Moore do something similar with striptease but like I think there's more meat on on this script and I think a big part of that is the the writer and the director like it's based yes. on a true story uh, and it's written and directed by a woman. And so the camera is, it's focusing on different things than a movie about strippers directed by men. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, you see, you know, you, there is nudity in this movie, but it doesn't, it doesn't ogle. I mean, God damn the scene where she's does her strip routine. Yeah. Her, her dance. Her her introduction in the movie basically is so fucking powerful yeah uh that she just immediately has this presence before she even says a word and it's it's not just about making her look sexy which she definitely does but it's like she feels powerful oh yeah the movie 
I mean, I've heard this stated before, and I think it's true. The way a character is introduced in a movie is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, how the how yeah. they, how they enter the screen, what the mise en scene is telling you, um, you know, how the music kind of you know it builds into the whole thing. And what we see is she, you know, she walks out on stage for the first time, and you're right, it's not a male gaze; it's it's literally the female gaze because we're getting it from constant woo. That's the perspective mm-hmm. she's watching, you know, as she's struggling to get money and she's doing these, you know, kind of humiliating lap dances for, for 20 bucks here or there. And she's getting ripped off and stuff. Then JLo walks out out of nowhere and is getting rained on with, you know, $1 bills and $20 bills or whatever. Yeah. You see, you and see also how that it, tells like, you the, the theme of the movie in without ever exactly. saying a word. Yeah. It's, it, this movie is so well directed, uh, it, like more than I I expected it to be. Like I I had heard some good things, sure, uh, and and you know I was just like, oh, this looks like sort of a fun. I expected it to be more like um, sort of what they were marketing Ocean's Eight to be, right? Uh, like I was like, oh, this is gonna be like sort of a fun heist movie with you know like uh. uh a cool female ensemble cast. Right. And then like, I was like, Oh no, this is like this director. She has something to say. Like she's got, Mm -hmm. she's got some fucking chops here. Uh, in a way that I was not expecting, I was just expecting sort of like popcorn fun. And, and that's the other thing about this movie is it does that as well. Yeah. It's a really fun, approachable movie. Uh, that's, tricking you uh into watching uh, actually like a pretty great art house piece i think yeah it wraps some candy around the pill um absolutely i think that this is uh i was surprised by how good this movie was because uh, same with you yeah. i saw the trailer and was like that's the type of movie that i do like and i was attracted to the trailer i was like if if that's a good movie that could be a really fun movie um, but yeah. it is one of those things based on the subject matter and just generally like the way movies are written nowadays, is just kind of a bummer. Um, I was like, that's either going to be really good or really bad. Uh, and we, yeah. you know, I kind of went blind. I knew that it was getting like somewhat positive reviews and it was about, I don't know, an hour or so in the movie when I realized I wasn't thinking about it critically. I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just so in it and so like wrapped up in the drama yeah. that I was like, holy shit, I am like totally sucked in. Like, this is a great fucking movie. Yeah, it's so it's so good. I I I know what you mean. Like, uh, Ashley really wanted to watch it and mm-hmm. I really didn't want to see Goldfinch. Uh, <laughs> and so I was like, ah, well, you know, let, let, let's see Hustlers. I've, you know, I've heard some some good stuff. Right. And. And this is the type Honestly, of movie think, that is usually the alternative programming to whatever big blockbuster is happening that weekend. Exactly. Uh, which is, you know, it, sometimes you do get some surprises. Other times it's like, Ugh, right, uh, that was work. <sighs> um, and this this movie is not work. It no. is so poppy and fun. But also, like I said, it really has some interesting things to say about about the male gaze, about the, the sex fucking, industry the sex industry in and about uh, yeah the economy and and, um class i mean they're so 
I, I pound on this all the time, but there's so few movies that discuss class in a real way. And this movie's all about that. And there's one scene in particular, which is maybe one of the least like set PC, you know, big, well-lit kind of scenes. But it was like, God, that is just real as fuck is when um, J-Lo goes to ask her boss after she, you know, hasn't been working at the strip club for a little while. She asks her boss Uh. if she can leave early because she needs to pick up her kid. And her boss, you know, just gives her the 411 about it and just doesn't care. And it's like, sorry, if you stay, you can make more money. And it's like, God, like that is like that is that is a scene that's just not in movies because most people who make movies have never had that experience in their life. Yeah, yeah, it. You're right. Uh, yeah, I my only my only real critique is I do think there is a little bit in the middle um, that I think maybe it. it the the movie's almost in danger of wearing out its welcome before it changes gears. Hmm. Um, I I think there's just a little bit in uh maybe just like you know thirty seconds of a montage that is just like we we need to change directions and then the movie does. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it it comes close to overstaying its welcome a little bit in the middle. Um, uh-huh. when they're sort of running their con, um, when they're it sort of goes on a little long. Right. Um, but other than that, I think this movie was so fucking good. And uh, I struggle <laughs> to really think of anything um, negative. I mean, this is, you know, for me, this is one of the best movies I've seen this year, like kind of by far. I, I agree with that. And yeah. uh, my only complaint with it, and it's going to sound horrific coming from me and because of the context of the movie and everything, I think it is somewhat noticeable to a point that it takes me a little out of the movie that none of the lead females uh, appear topless in a scene in a movie about strippers. Oh, that didn't bother me. That didn't I I didn't even notice. Uh, I mean, and I, I'm not saying that in a sense like I really like was hoping to see all of these women Some, naked or anything like that. But it, 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 it occurred to me, it's like, oh, that must have been a stipulation in the contract. And then when I'm uh, thinking about contracts, I'm not thinking about the movie. Yeah, there's only one scene that I can think of that I think... Brings uh, attention really, to that. Yeah, and that... Because what they'll usually the do is in the big strip club scenes... They'll, you know, they'll be focusing on the main actor or whatever. And then in the background, you'll see, you know, extras or, or in the, you know, uh, oh, Cardi B. B, Cardi B. She has a smaller role in the film and she's, you know, totally willing to, you know, go topless and everything. So they'll, uh, I mean, they'll kind of surround wears... them and pat out the scenes with, with a credible nudity so that we believe that this is a, a real topless bar. Um, even, I mean, she, even Cardi B, she wears, um, pasties, like pasties. Yeah. I, I the, the, she's no, also the really good in that, this too. She, she is, a, it is oh a walk on cameo. She's so fucking good. But this is, she, this is a she great. She has the part that I'm thinking that Kel needs is like a part like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in size. In, in and, a movie like yeah, this. Yeah. But, yes, absolutely. But yeah, so, uh, the, no, the only scene where I felt the, sort of lack of nudity is noticeable is there is a, a particular scene where constant Wu, uh constance Wu and j-lo um uh, they like they're giving this guy a private dance right and, and it's supposed and the way that the, the it's set up is this is supposed to be this especially humiliating 
kind of experience. And it's supposed to be this like really weird power dynamic because this guy is like so rich and, you know, this Wall Street kind of yeah. titan. And yeah, there is – I think that might have been the scene where, where it occurred to me. I was like, oh, they're not getting naked in this movie. But but I I don't think that the movie needs that because I think that I think the movie is titillating in the ways that it needs to be for right. a movie about strippers without degrading the women, which is right a really interesting um, point of view. I think for, it might also be intentional. Like there might be a bigger point to be made out of that than I, just yeah. I, the, I think it kind of reminded me a little bit of. Um, did you ever see Thank You for Smoking? Uh, no. Well, um, in the movie, it's all about uh, Anna Eckhart, who plays a, a tobacco lobbyist, who's specifically trying to to get uh, scenes of people smoking in movies. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there's never a scene of anyone smoking in the movie. <laughs> so well, it, I think there's funny. in that case, there was a point to be made. But uh, here, yeah, I don't know if it was intentional or not, if or if it was just like these specific specific actresses just weren't up to it, and that's you know fine. Um, it just I I did notice it. It was a thing that I was thinking about. I I, I noticed it very briefly, but I didn't care because I was just having so much fun with the movie. And, yeah, uh, I mean, we talked about how great J Lo is, and she she fucking rocks. I'm, it. I mean, um, I'm talking. Oscar, like the, I, I definitely there should be a campaign around this part. Yeah, she should. Not that I think that that is the end all be all of of you know being good in a movie and like no, I. But I, I'm I'm saying for people, good. yeah, it, it's yeah. it's that good of a role. And uh, but I think it's also a really good ensemble piece too because yeah. Constance Wu is great. Yeah. Um. Uh. And a great God. like instinctual uh, follow up to to Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, because it took is, me a while to realize it, it was the same girl. She is uh, so fucking good in this as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very different part from Crazy Rich Asians. Um, Julia Stiles, yeah, has a great cameo. Um, a little bit more than a cameo. Uh, I, I mean, and you know what? This, to to bring a little attention to like her role in the movie, there's there's a framing device because this is all based on like a New York Times or New Yorker article. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of weave that into the structure of the script. And we've seen this a gazillion times in movies where there's a framing device of somebody's interviewing people. So tell me what happened. And then it goes back in the scene. And a lot of times that annoys the shit out of me because it's very. This does it very well. It's, though. Yeah. I've ne- I've ne- I haven't seen this trope in a movie done this well in so long. And it's such an easy trope to turn into a problem. Uh, another thing I like about this movie is it's progressive but not in ways that are annoying mm-hmm. um like a lot of movies and i know that sounds terrible but i in general i agree with liberal progressive ideas sure um but when it's done in media it often comes across as really preachy and, and like okay, and, you know yeah. like grandstanding it, to and, the yeah to the point where it takes you out of the story and and uh but this does it in really great ways uh you know there's a lot of uh, women of color sure. who are you know I have gr- have great substantial roles. Um, mm-hmm. Tracy Lizette uh, is a trans actress, mm-hmm. and and they make her look gorgeous. Uh, you know she looks fantastic in this movie. Um, you, you know the lead is uh, an Asian woman. Like mm-hmm. it, I just this movie does that stuff so right because it's about 
how it serves the story. It's about making a good movie, right? Uh, and not just you know pushing this agenda. It's not just but, lip service. Exactly, and and it it goes to show that if you do the those if you make those moves for the right reasons, it, you can have an incredible movie. I would um, compare this movie um, not in similarity but by difference. Uh, to uh, a movie that I saw earlier in the summer. We didn't end up talking about it, but the movie The Kitchen, which was a movie I was expecting a lot from. Uh, and it, mm-hmm. was a, it was a crime film that takes place in the 70s and it stars all-female all cast. And that movie was like, made all the mistakes that this movie didn't. And okay. that movie tried to shove this like girl power message as we've been watching these women like, kill people and chop them up in refrigerators and are, you know, in uh, bathtubs and throwing them off into the Hudson River. And then they're supposed to be like, yay, women can be criminals too. And it's like, what is this message? <laughs> um, and, and this movie doesn't let them off the hook, but also it, it discusses class, discusses um, sexual politics and, and does it all in a way that's entertaining, easy to follow and is just really tightly written and really well directed. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, this is an uh, A for me. Yeah, uh, I I think I was giving this an A minus just because, like I said, I I think there's a little bit of that stretch in the middle um, that where it gets just, a little montagey. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this is definitely one of the best movies of the year so far. Oh yes. Uh, so it is, it is hard for me to give it an a minus, uh, the, the, f- what little, what few flaws there are, are easy to ignore. So, um, definitely go see hustlers. Oh yes. Um, yeah. Don't let this pass you by because it's not a big franchise, whatever. Like this is, this is a good time in the theater and it looks great too. So it's, even though it's not, there's no giant exploding robots, it's worth seeing in a theater. Oh yeah, the, uh, the sound design and the music. So well, yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, on to something completely different. Let's talk about <laughs> yes. uh, Netflix. The our Netflix homework, which you assigned us, and that was the Duncan Jones miniseries movie. Uh, we're gonna have a conversation about what this movie actually is. Mute miniseries. What are, what the fuck are you talking about? Okay, well I'll bring that up at the top, and then I'll let you get into um, what it's about. But um, yeah, so if you look at the movie, um, it's it's listed on here. Or it's listed on IMDb uh, as TVMA, not R. Or I, I wonder if that's just because it was only a Netflix release. But if there's plenty Netflix of Netflix original. only movies that are that are rated normally by the MPAA. Interesting. I I don't know. And it's um, 2 I mean, hours and 6 minutes, which I mean I guess doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's like the no, length that is doesn't mean shit. The length is kind of weird uh, and uh, All right. Yeah, go ahead and talk. About I'm it. Uh, so I'm looking at a lot of Netflix originals mm-hmm. and a lot of them are rated TVMA. So I wonder if that's something to do with the Netflix system like Maybe. Uh, well, maybe if they don't have a theatrical release, like if it's if they, if they have a, even a small theatrical release, they probably have to go through the regular rating system. But if it's yeah. just through Netflix and they can just go by the TV rules, I don't know how it works. That's I, that's what I'm thinking. If anyone understands the Netflix rating system, but I swear when us. I was looking it up so, on Netflix, it said something about miniseries. Maybe I was wrong. So, like for example, Bright, uh, I just 
looked up uh is also rated tvma okay um yeah, I guess if you know what's going on with Netflix's rating, uh, right into the show, explain it to us. Uh, this is a movie, though. <laughs> it is it is one single story. There's not episodes. It's it's a two hour uh, long movie. Anyway, what Mute is about is uh, directed by Duncan Jones. Uh, it's about Alexander Skarsgård plays uh, this Amish guy uh, who. Uh, has a boating accident when he's a kid um, that severs his vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he's he's totally mute. He can't talk. And he lives in this Blade Runner, cyberpunk, uh, sort of neo-future. Yeah. I believe um, it's in Germany, right? Yeah. It takes place yeah. in Germany. Uh, and, and he's a, a mute bartender of this like crazy techno ravey club. Um, he has this girlfriend who loves him. One day she goes missing mm-hmm. and he has to figure out what happened to her. Very like, no, like the most basic sort of noir plot <laughs> you can have. Right. Um, and she's involved in the criminal underworld. And uh, she's, I think she was a waitress at the club. Yeah. Yeah. And in the in the meantime, in the background, you have Paul Rudd as Cactus Bill and Justin Thoreau as Duck, who are these uh, so they're these surgeons uh, who are operating on these criminals in the underworld. Um, and you don't know their connection to um, the A plot. Alexander Skarsgård's character, Leo. Uh-huh. Um but they sort of keep cutting to these sort of like mini vignettes with them that are happening in the background of this noir adventure. Sure. Um, and I, spoilers, eventually they they cross paths in, in a much more dramatic way. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but there's, so, there's sort of these two stories. It's very noir detective story about this Amish guy looking for his girlfriend. Yeah. And this story about these, two underworld crime doctors and one of them, uh, Paul Rudd's character, Cactus Bill Mm -hmm. is trying to get papers, uh, so that he can like forged documents so that he can get back to America. Yeah. And he has a young daughter with him and yeah. Mm -hmm. So what did, what did you think of mute? Um, Hmm. Uh, this was bad. (laughs) I didn't like it at all. No. Okay. Um, this movie was, painfully boring i i I likened it to reading a bad book because it was like every 20 minutes i had to put it down and do something else because i was just couldn't it just could not hook me in and i'm not entirely certain why i mean there's nothing exceptional about it but there's also nothing exceptionally bad about it either it's just a recipe for boredom throughout most of the movie uh alexander skarsgård you know generally an interesting actor totally lifeless in this thing totally wooden he's the you know the main character and we know so very little about him or about what motivates him other than he loves this girl the few scenes we do get of them as a couple in the beginning are really not compelling so when she goes missing i don't super care where she went or you know it even took me kind of longer than it should to realize like oh this is one of those i gotta find my girlfriend detective movies um (laughs) Because I was like, oh, we're supposed to care about her enough that that's the plot of the movie? Okay. <laughs> um, uh, 
And then, you know, then we have this other movie going on with uh, Paul Rudd and Justin Thoreau, which is better, even though they're both giving career worst uh, performances. Paul Rudd looking a lot like uh, Elliot Gould from MASH um, with this comedic mustache and a giant knife. And he's, yeah, like kind of laughably bad in this movie. And uh, Justin Thoreau, I think, is a little bit more kind of in tune with the camp of everything, the unintentional camp of everything that's happening on screen. But as a story, as a plot, it slugs along. I never care. Uh, nothing feels real. The special effects are very televisual. That's another reason why I thought this might have been a miniseries instead of a movie. Um, is because the way it's shot and the way that the scenes are directed and, and blocked and the way the dialogue is really feels like just like bad TV a lot of the time. Um, not a fan. Not a fan of this movie. All right. Um, I agree with some of your assessment. Um, uh, I actually, I think I enjoyed this a, quite a bit more than you did, though. <laughs> um, I I definitely agree with you that uh, everything going on with Alexander Skarsgård uh, is a problem and doesn't work. Uh, you you mean the main thrust this... and plot of the movie doesn't work? Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he oh. is pretty damn boring yeah. and has no way of getting us to like him mm -hmm. uh and also like there's this weird like there's sort of this weird moment where he sort of sign languages a little haphazardly um but like i don't he <sighs> there's this weird frustrating mechanic in the movie where people talk to him and then he just doesn't respond <laughs> uh and that is not interesting to watch at all like his face doesn't sell it and i don't understand why he, they just didn't have him do sign language like it's the future he he doesn't know how to, he can't talk uh why why does he not know sign language why is that not more of a, a thing in this movie sure i don't know that that would have saved it um but it maybe would have made it a little more interesting to at least give him something physical to do because it's mostly just alexander skarsgård giving these sort of lost puppy dog eyes yeah and um, yeah there's not even like you know the normal sort of noir detective thing where he interrogates people or tries to get information out of people i mean that does happen but there are these because of the conceit of the movie of him being a mute it's like those scenes are so limited to what they can be um and yeah, but I don't know. But uh, and I also do agree with you that um, some of the sci-fi stuff is pretty rough. And, and I think there's something interesting about the idea of like setting an Amish character in sort of a Blade Runner neo future. I guess. But this I, I think there's something interesting with that premise. But, this but there's no commitment sort of a, to that premise. Exactly. This this movie avoids all of that. And focuses so much more on him not being able to talk. And yeah. I think I think if you like if they had focused on one of those things and not tried to sort of throw it all together. Which... I honestly forgot that that was uh, that that was a thing that he was Amish. Like, I guess he was raised or whatever. But like exactly. by the, by the time I, we I see think... him as an adult working in this club, it's like that's totally uh, inconsequential to the story. 
It, it, exactly. And it felt almost more like, uh, oh, okay, what if we make him Amish so that we don't... Ex- like, it felt like a weird plot device to keep him from talking. Like, oh, it's the future. Why couldn't he just get his voice fixed or whatever? Right. And and I think it just, like, overcomplicates the premise uh, in weird ways. Then there's this other movie going on mm-hmm. with Paul Rudd and Justin Theroux that I actually enjoyed. Uh, I I find Paul Rudd incredibly watchable. Um, and I actually really like seeing him. He sort of plays... Uh, takes sort of a heel turn in this movie that I actually really liked from him mm. um, because he has that charisma. He plays such a, a charismatic asshole in this. Like he, yeah. he goes from joking around to being like physically violent on the drop of dime that for me, I really worked. Um, I, it just it, didn't for me. Like I never bought him as, as threatening. Maybe I've just seen him in too many comedies in a row, but he's a good dramatic actor when he wants to be i've seen him do dramatic work but in this movie like i felt like yeah i i I always i i could never take him seriously it felt like sort of more believable abuse to me because it's like you know he he is charismatic he is likable and then he will completely just be a a a total fucking asshole on a dime it it seemed more it seemed more believable to me because the movie wants you to like him. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, he has the daughter uh, and everything. Yeah. And and there's a little bit when you're like, you almost think he might be, you know, sort of a hero or, or ally with. Yeah. I kind of thought of him as a, as a anti-hero for part of it until I realized he wasn't. And then I realized the movie just doesn't know what it's doing. Um, I, I think that I, I don't know. To me that those elements work. Cause there's and, like supposed to be a, almost redemption story there but then it totally abandons that to me that was the more interesting story was these two doctors uh and one of them is much more heinous than the other right uh and and i i liked the The one is more violent than than the other yeah and yeah so i thought there was a really interesting dynamic there and i really think the movie should have just been about those two i think there was enough there that all of this stuff with Leo and the the noir stuff that I I, that I agree I didn't care at all about right uh, and that is a problem because if you don't care about that the the twist and the reveal at the end doesn't work right um so I think that this is a flawed movie I didn't think it was boring though um, I've I've watched much more boring noir I thought the stuff with uh, Alexander Skarsgård was pretty boring, but for the most part, I thought this was uh, pretty middle of the road uh, for like sci-fi noir stuff, especially for uh, Netflix. Um, I think the pieces coalesce better than than some stuff I've seen on here, but it's not great. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, worse than middle of the road. I, I'm also, I mean, the dialogue is not helping anybody in this movie. It's, it's like exceptionally bad. But what can you explain to me? Why does this take place in the future? No, no, I can't. Other than uh, they wanted it to be sci-fi. They yeah, just wanted sci-fi be. shit to be happening in the background. But they, you could do this exact same story in present day. You could do it, take place in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Doesn't matter. So the only 
the only reason I can think of, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's not a good one, um, but I'm going to play movie lawyer for a second. Okay. Uh, the only reason I can think of is to play with this idea that uh, Alexander Skarsgård's character is mute by choice. Right. Um, because, but if that's the case, like... There's a thousand a movies about a man with no name type type character who doesn't yeah, use just man a few words like, or whatever. Take a bow of silence or yeah. whatever. Yeah. One of those kind of less samurai good. style movies. I'm not saying it's a good reason, um, but to me that seems to be the only reason is like he's Amish, uh, so he could get a voice box implanted mm-hmm. because of that sort of future technology exists. Um, but he doesn't because of who he is. I I don't know that. Other than that, no specific element couldn't take place, like you said, today in the sixties and seventies, whatever. Right. Um, and I think if they again had avoided that road, uh, you know, maybe there would have been more to sort of cling on to. I I think this is a problem of uh, th- I think this movie is ambitious and throwing a lot at the wall and most of it doesn't stick i mean Um, that but it but there's not an ambition to it that that says to me that there's you know reaching for the moon ever because everything like you know from the the sci-fi conceits to the story conceits to the genre conceits nothing about it is something I've never seen before or haven't considered before in a movie or is beyond, you know, beyond the reach of its genre conventions. Everything about it is just like, uh, you know, a buffet of cliches. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Uh, I'm not, I'm not gonna deny that. The one element of it that does bring some personality to it is this brotherish dynamic between Paul Rudd and, and, uh, Justin Thoreau. Um, but again, I think those those performances are so uneven that I can't totally fully get on board with it. And it's broken up by these long, extended, glacially paced, boring scenes with Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, that that's what I mean. I, I think that Paul Rudd and uh, Justin Theroux, to me, actually have a lot of chemistry. Uh, I think they have a well, lot. Sure. Did you ever see Wanderlust? They were t- they were great in that movie together. I didn't see that. Um, <laughs> I might now, though, because I, act- I actually really enjoyed that part of the story. Sure. I just think that they could cut out. All- There's a version of this movie that doesn't have uh, Leo uh, Leo in it until maybe like the last act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you could still get sort of your twists and surprises in there um in in an interesting way and i I liked how that information was doled out uh, like there's a point in the movie when you know what happened Mm -hmm. to uh the female uh uh character the missing girl in question yes yeah i i i will say i think this movie is uh i don't know i i didn't hate it i've definitely seen worse sci-fi i think if you're looking i don't know i've seen i I have seen worse but i'm also grading on a curve a little bit because this is duncan jones who gave us moon and source code a great first and second film 
And, you know, I didn't see Warcraft. Uh, I don't think it was really well regarded. Um, but given that what I know he's yeah, capable he, he of, this is better. a huge fall from grace. He he can do better. He has done better. Uh, and everybody in the movie has done better. Yeah. Yeah, I won't disagree with that. So there, it isn't just like we watched, you know, like I'm grading this on a different curve than I did Solomon Kane, which yeah. I would still say is a more entertaining and better movie than this. See, I, I guess I'm grading it on the Netflix original curve. Um, well, the, you know, there's a, there's a conversation to be had about that because I there's a I wonder if there's something about the conditions of a Netflix original, like directing them, because I've seen a few movies now with name directors behind them and, you know, stars that are usually better, mm-hmm. that just doesn't feel cinematic, doesn't I feel up to have... par with their work. It feels constrained. It feels like everybody on set must have been miserable. Like, I don't know why. And they're just these miserable movies that come out of the, come out of the system. Not all the time. And sometimes Netflix just goes out to, goes out to festivals and buys movies and puts their name on it. And those are the ones mm-hmm. that are usually better. But whenever I think I see Netflix something like, like this, this feels contenty to me in a way that yes. bad Netflix movies sometimes do. I think this ha- I think Netflix has a major uh, a couple problems. I think they have an editing problem because mm-hmm. I think they get these good directors, and then it feels like there was they just don't have good editors that just don't know what's important and what isn't um, in ways that and sometimes you know major studios they screw the pooch on this too, um, especially lately. But yeah, I'm not saying. Feels- but I think Everything if this had been made... a little rushed. Yes. It comes out on Netflix. And uh, uh, they have some... As far as Netflix goes, I get very skeptical of their original movies. I'm a lot more forgiving of their original series. Um, yeah. Because I feel like they just are putting more effort into those. Uh, because a, a, a movie is sort of a one and done. And then, a, a, you know, a series is like could be bankable that could be franchisable right uh and so i think to me that seems to be where the problem comes from is i don't know if they're just not putting the the proper amount of time or money into their netflix originals i feel similarly to this movie that i felt about bright i think there are some good ideas and there might be a good cut of this movie Mm -hmm. but i think what we got was sort of a disservice to the ideas that are going on. Okay. All right. Well, there's that. Um, next week, uh, I'm going to have us watch the Martin Scorsese film. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Uh, they put a bunch of his old movies up on, on Netflix and there's a few on there that I could have chose from, but I'm going with that one. Uh, Cause I feel like that's a less talked about uh 70s Scorsese film. And also I believe Hustlers owes a lot to sort of the Scorsese tradition. Um, okay. So we'll talk about that. And and if there's anything that anybody wants to uh, mention to us, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also uh, find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, uh, Player.fm, Pocket Cast, and uh, I believe that's it for the moment. Um, and as we stated at the beginning of the episode, please give us a 
you know, a star rating and a one sentence review. I guess on uh, if you do it for iTunes, Keith will draw you a picture and mail it to you. Yes, if you do a five star specifically, five star review, no, no, no. four star bullshit. I'm paying for our good reviews. <laughs> and he does take requests, so do that. Um, also, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at MacGuffinPod, and you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MacGuffinPod, where we post our episodes and the news stories, surveys, questions that we uh, give to our audience or our whatever the listeners, if you will. And uh, you can find the writing that I do for the Idaho State Journal at the Idaho State Journal's website, IdahoStateJournal.com, under the uh, Arts and Entertainment section. Um, you can also find some writing I've provided for the MacGuffin. Okay. I, I hate to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I Can I give my stuff real quick? Because I have got to take a shit. I'm going to, like, shit my pants. <laughs> okay, go for it. Uh, follow me at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, go www.keithfosterkid.com. Uh, at Keith Foster Kid on Twitter and Instagram. Um, all right, I got to poop. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>